The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome back to the second week of this three-part series. How many of you have not been here before? So to this class, this is your, okay. So a number of you. Okay, great, thank you. So um, I won't start right away. I'll give people a, ch- a couple more people a chance to sit down. Um, so before we get started, uh, does anybody have any questions from, uh, from anything from last week? Okay, so um, what I'd like to do first is I'd like to just uh, review very briefly. Um, excuse me a second. Um, so uh, a little bit of what we talked about last week is that pain is a complex um, experience. It involves the physical, the emotional, and the mental. And all those three areas have to be addressed uh, when we're dealing with chronic pain. So, and we have to get to know all those three areas really well. And we have to disentangle them from each other. Because often what happens, we have a physical pain, and then we have an emotional reaction, and then we tense up to the emotional reaction, and it becomes like kind of this really big, intimidating thing. So when we disentangle it, and we are able to address uh, this is the physical, this is the emotional, uh, this is the mental aspects, we're able to look at them a lot more clearly and see them for what they are. They're a lot more manageable. Um, So last week, what we did is we uh, did a practice called Free Floating in the Discomfort, where we paid attention to the pain or discomfort uh, in small little pieces, noticing the details of the pain as opposed to uh, the the big thing of pain. One of the ways of looking at this is that, um, you know, mindfulness, uh, there isn't a right way to be mindful. For instance, uh, if you're taking a splinter out of your finger, you know, you want to narrow your focus of mindfulness to this tiny little spot. You don't really want to be listening to the ambient sounds while you're doing that. But if you're laying on the beach and it's a beautiful day, you know, you want to have kind of very broad mindfulness of the, you know, of the clouds, the warmth, the sky, the feeling of the sand, you know, the, the sound of the waves. It's a very broad mindfulness. And mindfulness is an art. You know, uh, there isn't the right way to do it, but there are helpful ways to do it. And when we deal with pain, the way to think of it is um, we use mindfulness to pay attention to pain, kind of like a camera. Uh, If you look at it, I mentioned last week, you know, we tend to gravitate to it and and kind of like a magnet so that this, it becomes our entire reality, this, this pain. But if we look at it kind of like a wide angle lens, it becomes just one part of a big picture. Like right now, even though you might have, let's say there's a low back pain, for instance, uh, you know, there's a thousand other experiences going on at this moment. And so by widening your focus, the pain becomes just one piece of a bigger picture. Uh, in the same way, if you narrow your focus on the pain, so instead of like a regular picture of it, you're, you're looking at it with a microscope now. 
Now, with a microscope, you start seeing the little things that make up the pain. Just like if you were looking at, um, uh, you know, at, at some living cells, you might start seeing the insides of the cell and all the little details, the little blood cells moving. So, in that same way, with a microscope, you look at the pain and you see the different sensations that make up the pain. Uh, a tingling, uh, a shooting feeling, a warmth, all these different little things. And by getting interested in those sensations, the pain is no longer this solid thing that we don't like. It can become something we can get interested in. The other aspect that happens, which is going to be a lot of our focus this morning, is uh, this, this evening, <laughs> um, is uh, our emotional reaction to pain. Most of us have a knee-jerk reaction to pain. Uh, we have pain and we immediately don't like it. It's actually, for most of us, it's an unconscious. You know, you already hate it before you even know you hate it. It's already underneath there. It's a habit of mind. Pain arises and we co contract against it. So getting to, and, and what happens, we contract against pain because we don't like it. We're actually making the pain worse. Because, for instance, um, Let's say again, let's take an example of pain in the low back, you know, and you hate it and, you know, you, you grit your teeth because you're, you know, you're unhappy. You know, you're gritting your teeth and your stress levels in your body increase. The hormones in your body actually make you feel the pain even more. You know, it, it's not necessarily that direct. And then you might be bracing other muscles which actually um, increase the pain in the area. So it works against you. It's like a vicious cycle. So getting to, what we're going to do today is getting to know our emotional reactions so that we don't add a lot of the suffering uh, to the pain itself. So what we want to look at is the, um, the idea of resistance. Okay? We want to stop resisting what's there, what can't be changed. When resistance comes in two ways. It's either resistance in the body or resistance in the mind. Resistance in the mind says the pain shouldn't be there. Um, you know, I hate the pain. I can't stand it. You know, when is it going to stop? You know, there are all these things that the mind does, you know, that aren't helpful. I mean, how often when you've had pain has it been helpful to say to yourself, when is this going to stop? Right? You know, it's just it's a way of pushing against it and pushing. And the mind's tight when it does that. And when the mind is tight, the body responds and gets tighter. So what we're looking at is uh, looking at those emotional reactions. Resistance in the body takes the form of, of tension, such as holding and bracing. Um, with chronic holding and bracing, most of us start developing what we call secondary pains. So maybe the original injury was a low back injury, but we're bracing ourselves against it so much that we develop pain in the mid-back, we develop pain in the shoulders because we're so tensing against it for so long. Um, so what we're looking for is to have a non-resisting attitude towards pain. And uh, what's really important non-resisting, an accepting attitude towards pain. And what's important to understand is that acceptance is not passive. 
acceptance is actually a very engaged activity with mindfulness. So when we're accepting, we're not resigned. We're not saying, oh yeah, I've got pain, you know. It's an, actually, an actual engagement of being interested in our lives, in the moment, even though pain is present. So we may get interested in the pain, we may get interested in something else. But it's, it's a way of not resisting what's there and what we can't do anything about. Now, sometimes we might be in a position where we're still, you know, there's pain and there might be something we can do something about and we're not sure. And then that's another very tricky area because what happens is that then we spend the time meditating, troubleshooting, how we can, you know, what can I do about this? I'm sure there's something, maybe I should do this, maybe I should do that. You know, and so I'd like to suggest if your physical pain is coming from something that hasn't been fully diagnosed or, or there might be some approaches that you might try, um, that you decide ahead of time, before your meditation, that you're not going to think about that during your sitting. That you're going to put that aside for now. That during your sitting, you're going to be accepting of what's there in the moment. Because in the moment, you can't do anything about it. So your choice is either to accept it or resist it. And when we accept it, we accept it by turning towards whatever it is, instead of not pushing it away. I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but uh, my, one of my favorite... Um, ways of thinking of this comes from Shinsen Yang, uh, who's done a lot of work with pain. Did I mention him last week? Or Yeah, so you know, he wrote a book called Breakthrough Pain. You know, he, he, uses, he calls it, uh, it's a formula he uses, it's called suffering equals pain times resistance. So pain is the raw thing that we might not be able to do anything about. If we resist pain, we don't want it to be there. We not only have the pain, but we also have this unhappy feeling that things aren't okay. If we stop resisting, we eliminate any suffering that's unnecessary. We don't add anything to it. So you may have pain, but you don't have the extra suffering that comes along with feeling sorry for ourselves, that things aren't all right, that our life will only be okay once this pain is over. Um, I don't know how many of you have had that experience, you know, it, it's, it's only, if this pain is over, then my life would be okay. Then, it'll be, then I'll be ready to be alive again. So there's all these head thing, you know, all these ideas that we l- layer on top of a simple experience of pain and complicate it and create a lot of suffering for ourselves. So this is really what we're addressing today. Um, I wanted to bring particular attention to fear because that's one of the emotions that's very much tied into a lot of pain. And uh, I'll give you an example for myself, for instance. You know, I would find myself, I'd start a meditation and I'd have a mild pain. It really wasn't that bad. It was, it was a pain. It was a little bit of a discomfort. And my mind would say, oh, but it's hurting a little bit right now. What's going to happen 10 minutes from now? And, oh, by the end of the sitting, this is going to be a lot worse. And I would just psych myself up with all this fear and anticipation of how bad it was going to get. Whereas in the moment, it was just, it was a mild pain. 
And that's what it was. Uh, so fear is a very, uh, fear and anticipation of pain are very tied together and they, they get um, very co complicate any pain. A good example is um, Ajahn Brahm, he's a, a monk in Australia. He's the abbot um, of uh, one of the large monasteries in Australia. And one of his, they live kind of far from everything. And one of his monks had a lot of teeth he had to get pulled. And he, um, and it wasn't for, and very few dentists are willing to pull teeth without anesthesia. And he decided he was going to do it without anesthesia. And, um, you know, he, he, it was such a hassle finding a dentist who would do this for him. He said, I'll do it myself. So, um, <laughs> so Arjun Braun walked up to him, you know, and the guy had, a freshly pulled tooth, bloody tooth in his pliers, you know, standing there, you know, smiling, you know, and uh, he pulled it out. And Ajahn Ram said, you know, well, how did you do that? And he said, well, you know, when I decided I wanted to do this, you know, I thought about, you know, going to the dentist, and it was too much of a hassle, and, you know, so I thought, okay, I'll do it here. At that point, there's no pain. Then I walked to the workshop to get my pliers, there's no pain. I picked up the pliers, there was no pain. You know, I held them onto to my tooth, still no pain. You know, I wiggled it and yanked it, and it hurt for about two, three seconds. Hurt a lot for two, three seconds. And then I, I was done, and there wasn't much pain. The whole pain existence, experience lasted five seconds. But for many of us, uh, it would have, might have lasted, you know, an hour, <laughs> two hours. You know, and so, so what that brings to mind is that often with pain, the ideas we have about it, the anticipation, the tensing against it, um, are actually a huge part of our suffering. I think, uh, if I recall, you had a tooth drilled with that anesthesia? Yeah, yeah, so, um, so it's, you know, a lot of our ideas about it um, uh, affect our experience. One of the other stories I want to say, uh, I don't know how many of you have heard of it, Dr. Um, John Sarno, he's a specialist in um, rehabilitative medicine. He's, uh, um, I think he's in the East Coast. He's written some books on low back pain and um, neck pain. and I, I, don't rem I may be wrong about that. But, but one of the things that he was known for, and, and I haven't been up on what he's done in recent years, but uh, when I was aware of the work he was doing, is that people go to him who'd had chronic low back pain in particular. I was aware of that as a chiropractor. And they, he would talk them out of it. And he had a, quite an unusual success rate in talking people out of their low back pain. So, you know, I, I got very interested in what was really happening with that. And what happens often is that uh, people have an injury. And when we're injured, the body's natural fear, uh, fear reaction says, uh, don't move me, don't injure me further. And that's a really good reaction. You know, you have an injury, you have a scab, you're bleeding, you don't want to break the scab open, you don't want to move. But often what happens is people keep not moving the area in fear. 
They don't know. Often we don't know. We might go to a doctor who doesn't really you know, pay a whole lot of attention. They give you some pills, and they, you know, they give you some vague advice, and you don't really know what your own body is doing. And so you kind of hold it stiff and hold it stiff day after day after day, and the area actually starts um, degenerating to some degree from the lack of motion. For instance, they, had a, they did a study, I think it was in Norway, uh, um, many years ago, uh, where they took, uh, it was a big factory where there's a lot of low back injuries, a lot of people doing heavy lifting, and they had half the people who had low back injuries over a period of years uh, have a month of bed rest. And they had the other half of the people go on light duty, so they were still working every day. And the group that had the bed, they, they got well just as quickly. So that was interesting. But a year later, the group that had the bed rest still had residual symptoms, on average, you know, not, not everybody. And the group that had had light duty had a lot less problems. Uh, so when we are afraid of movement, um, you know, and we don't understand what our bodies are doing, and we contract against it, we can make the situation a lot worse. So we need to get clear what pain it's okay to cause ourselves, and what pain isn't okay to cause ourselves. So I know you all have different uh, kinds of pain, some pain that you don't control at all, or sometimes pain that you get when you're doing stuff. You know, some of you here know Darlene Cohen, you know, who has, um, she's a pain, te- uh, she's a Zen priest who has, uh, teaches a lot about pain. She has uh, had rheumatoid arthritis, very severe in her body for many years. And, you know, she was teaching um, a, a group of people who had pain how to cook. You know, I mean, not how to cook, they were cooking together. And she was taking her arthritic hands and cooking, chopping vegetables. And people were saying, oh, God, I haven't, you know, chopped vegetables in years, you know, because, you know, my hands are arthritic. Uh, you know, and she just you know, help them just go back to using their hands. And lo and behold, everybody who was, had this arthritis in their hands could actually chop the vegetables. You know, like for myself, you know, because I, I also have arthritis in my hands, and um, I've had for many years. And as a chiropractor, I did a lot of uh, deep tissue work on people. I was always using my hands. And when I retired... Um, you know, I kept doing a little bit of it, and I found that even though the arthritis was pretty, you know, pretty strong, I could still do it to some degree. I just couldn't do as much. So I kept moving it and not being afraid of it. And I think that that's allowed me to maintain just a lot of mobility, a lot of ability to, you know, because I've allowed myself to keep moving it as much as I'm able to. But it really takes mindfulness to know where our edges are. You can't do it from your head. You have to do it from your body. So often what happens is that we get advice from a, from a doctor, a specialist, or somebody else who says, well, this is what you should do, this much. But they're not in your body, and everybody's different. And the more mindfulness we can bring into our bodies and find our own edges, you know, for instance, you know, maybe the uh, shoulder injury, that uh, broken shoulder, where is that edge where it's okay to move? Where is that edge? You know, from the inside, we can learn to know those things. I'd like to start with a guided meditation on emotional reactions to pain. How many people here 
don't have any physical pain at this moment. What I'm going to ask you to do during the meditation, because uh, I want you to uh, work with this enough to really get to know it, is to make a fist with your hand so that it's just a little bit, a little bit tense. Don't make it hurt a lot. Only for the people who have no pain. So I'm sorry. So just those of you who have no, no dis- discomfort or pain. Make it just a little bit uncomfortable so that your tendency is to want to relax it. Um, so you can explore any of the things that might come up. So go ahead and get comfortable in a comfortable position. And close your eyes. Take a deep breath in. And as you breathe out, feel your whole body settle into your posture. Allow the weight of the body to settle down towards the earth. Let go just a little more with each breath. And letting your breath be normal. Notice how you feel in your body and your emotions. Just notice how you are. And for a moment, bring your attention to any areas of pain or discomfort. And now start noticing your emotions. Moment by moment, you may have an emotional reaction. Or you may not have an emotional reaction. You may be neutral. The emotional reaction might be to pain or discomfort or to other things. It doesn't matter. If you find that you have an emotional reaction mentally, like a whisper in your mind, label it. It could be anger, dislike, irritation, impatience, and so forth. Any emotional reactions that you have, just keep checking. Every few seconds, just check. Don't worry if you don't have the exact word. You can just call it emotion if you need to.
if you have no emotional reaction at a given moment and you find that it feels restful not to have one, you can label that peace or calm. If an emotion continues, you can just repeat the phrase at a steady pace. For instance, it might sound like this, irritation, irritation, sadness, sadness, resistance, calm, calm, dislike. So just see what's there using the simple words to describe what your emotional reaction is. If there's any very strong emotion that's very strong and persistent, label it, but also notice how the emotion feels in your body. You might have some contraction or reaction that goes to the emotion that's different, that's separate from the pain in your body. Notice it in the body. Greet any emotional reactions with a gentle matter-of-factness. When there's no reactions, enjoy the restfulness.
Now place some of your awareness directly on the discomfort. But keep noticing the emotions as they come and go. And keep a friendly attitude towards the emotions. Notice the difference between the physical sensation and the emotions. Now open your attention to your body as a whole. Try to feel your entire body at once. And we're going to practice very mindfully standing up. So to stand up, go ahead and gently open your eyes. Uh, I want to make sure you stand not on somebody else. And very mindfully notice your body as you move. Just feel your body from the inside. And just take your time very slowly standing up. And once you're standing, close your eyes again. Continuing paying attention to your body. And while you're standing there with your eyes closed, very slowly, just start moving your hands in very gentle circles. Just so you feel, paying attention to the feeling of movement in your hands. 
this transition between meditation and moving in your life is a very important transition. Because when we, we spend maybe a little bit of time each day meditating, but we have a whole day in which we can lose ourselves. So this period right in between, right before we go into the rest of our lives, if we can maintain connection with the movement in our bodies, can help us bring the attitude of openness and awareness into the rest of our day. Now just move your shoulders a little bit in place, maybe do some shoulder circles, bring them up to your neck, just very gently. Let your head drop forward and stretch a little bit. Stretch your arms over your head. Just stretch just a little bit. And then gently just sit back down. So when you're done with meditating in the morning, whenever you do it, instead of rushing into your life, you know, and, and okay, now I've got to do this, this, and this, take that little bit of time to slowly transition into the rest of your day. It doesn't mean that you, don't, you can't do things quickly, but try to bring your awareness with you as you go to do things quickly, if that's what you need to do. So how is that? Any, any, was every, everybody able to bring up some emotions during that time and to notice some emotions? What kind of emotions came up? You can just say them out loud. Annoyance. Annoyance. Fear. Fear. Unhappiness. Unhappiness. Frustration. What? Frustration. Frustration. Were all of you able to notice the difference between the physical sensations and the emotion? Okay. Is this the emotion that goes with the physical sensations that we were looking for? It may or may not. It may or may not. It's just noticing the difference between them. Because, you know, you might have a reaction to the pain, but you also might have a reaction to the fact that you're bored. <laughs> or, or the fact that you're tired. Or the fact, you know, there's... So, so it's any emotion. It's any emotion. So one of the things about uh, labeling emotions is that it'd be really helpful if you can do a little bit of this during the day. So for instance, um, you know, how many of you don't like being in gridlock? Or, you know, uh, so for instance, if, you're, if you have an opportunity where you're like waiting in line, in gridlock, the type of things that are on hold, you know, on the telephone, the type of things that many of us tend to get impatient. It's a perfect time to practice this. Uh, just take a few, you know, as long as it takes and just notice how am I feeling right now, you know, and just slowly label it inside your mind. You know, all impatience, irritation, annoyance, whatever those things are, and maybe calm. Maybe calm. Don't forget the calm and happiness, you know. We want to, a lot of us are so used to gravitating to what's wrong that we don't even notice when we have these little wonderful little moments of peace and calm. So notice it when it's there.
For those of us who have chronic pain, you know, the pain is there a lot of the time at very different times. So we need to learn to get to know our emotions around the pain and work with that uh, at times outside of meditation. So I really recommend that very strongly that you start really getting to know what emotions are up throughout your days. Another thing that, that is um, another emotion that can be very helpful is smiling. I don't know if any of you have heard that there's uh, an actual method, biofeedback method called smiling rehabilitation because they found that in the same way that, you know, we, we usually tend to think uh, that an action follows a feeling, you know, you're, you're happy, therefore you sing, you know, but they found that if you sing, it can make you happy. And in the same way, you know, you might be happy and you smile, but they found that just by smiling, even when you don't feel like it, when it feels like phony as anything, the actual physical movement of the face in, a, in smiling actually makes you happier. But not only does it make you happier, it actually decreases your pain. And so uh, there's actually been, been studies that have shown just by increasing how much we smile, we decrease our level of pain, our level of stress. And maybe that's how it works because it decreases the, the stress hormones in the body. They found that smiling is hardwired. Uh, every culture in the world smiles. Though every culture might not do, do it in the same way, so what might be really nice and friendly here might be considered really odd in some other cultures. So that's just a caveat if you're traveling the world and smiling. Um, but, you know, what's your face like when you're home alone? You know, if you're spending a few hours alone doing, you know, dishes and cleaning up and, um, you know, checking email, what does your face look like? What are you doing with your face? You know, so, so if you can bring that smiling to it, regardless of, of how you do that. You know, one of the things that, one of the practices that I took to do myself was um, every time I write an email to someone, I think of the person and I smile. It helps me feel connected with the person. It also, since I have a lot of emails to answer, <laughs> you know, it, may, it makes the, the answering a much more enjoyable thing instead of a burden. But it's a practice I took on, you know, after a retreat, you know, one point, you know, and I just found it, it really transformed my relationship with, you know, answering this, you know, at one point I had like 100 emails a day I had to individually answer. So... You know, and that smiling, you know, it just helps me feel connected with people I may not even know. But it also helps me be relaxed. So I really recommend that. So any questions about working with emotions? Um, any emotions that, you, that are particularly difficult for you to work with? Yes? Just last example. <clears throat> if, uh, I don't feel especially smile-worthy. It's very difficult to smile. If you don't, you know, just, I don't know if you heard that, if, if you don't feel smile-worthy, it's very difficult to smile. Yeah, yeah, it is. But, but pretend, you know. Um, you, you know, you may not want to do it if you're having dinner with someone, you know. But if you're by yourself and it's a safe environment, just, just pretend. You know, think of acting. You know, think of yourself as an actor. 
It's an exercise. It's like, um, you know, they're actually, I, I forget how many, do you remember how many smile muscles there are? There are a lot of muscles involved. They're 20, yeah, some, something like, yeah, yeah, close to that, yeah. And, you know, just like if you're lifting weights, right, you know, the more you do it, the easier it is to do it. It's the same thing with smiling. The more you smile, the easier it is for, you, for that to happen. So, so think about, so, so it's a perfect time to practice mindfulness of emotion because you feel stupid smiling, or maybe you feel uh, resisting to smile. So that's an, another emotion you can pay attention to while you're smiling. <laughs> yes? Let's say that sometimes I go through periods where um, I become very aware of, or I'm trying to be very aware of my emotions, and it, it can be a little bit, like if I'm having negative, like for example, if I'm feeling unhappy, it can be a little bit reinforcing. If I find myself feeling unhappy a lot and noticing, you know, it's almost like the more that I notice that I'm unhappy, the more that I think, ah, I'm just an unhappy person. Wow, I didn't really notice, but boy, I'm unhappy all the time. Um, So I guess I'm curious how to sort of break a cycle of um, sort of noticing the same negative emotion a lot. Yeah. Yeah, good. A couple of things I want to say about that, you know. One of the things that happens when we pay attention to our minds is that we notice how much we suffer. And um, that's actually the very, of the, in Buddhist teachings, that's how, where we start. There is suffering, and there's suffering in our minds. And so getting to know the fact that we're suffering is a really good thing. But what you'll notice, what happens is you experience your your unhappiness and then you tell yourself a story about it. And that's that's a different piece. You know, the unhappiness itself, if you explore it, um, is a very different experience. And feeling unhappy and then saying, oh, that's bad, that's a judgment. So it's really separating out the emotion from the thoughts about the emotion. Um, so you go, oh, judging. That's, I'm judging. That's what I'm doing. I'm judging my emotion. So let me say a little more about um, strong emotions and recurring emotions. We want to get to know them. We really, um, an emotion, the word itself means to move through. So what happens with an emotion, if you think about fear, you know, fear, right, that's very obvious, you know, um, you know, you're in a car, you're back in a car accident, you get really scared, and then it kind of goes away. An hour later, you don't even know where that fear went, right? It moved through you. That's what emotions do. Uh, but when we resist our emotions, we kind of, you know, they come up and we kind of push them away because we don't want them, and they don't really move through us. When we become mindful of our emotions and we turn our attention towards them, instead of saying, oh, I'm unhappy again, I shouldn't feel that way, you go, oh, unhappiness, this is what unhappiness is like. Ah, oh, look at this contraction of my body, and this is what it feels like. And as you keep watching it, it usually, at some point, it's not there anymore. Now, if we're, a lot of emotions are, are patterns we have. And they are repetitive patterns. You know, we're used to every time, you know, like, like a knee jerk, like, you know, I, my mother would call on the phone, I'd be irritated. It was like, you know, it's like a knee jerk reaction, you know, and that's where mindfulness comes in. You know, oh, mother called on the phone, oh, irritation, oh, there it goes, okay, let it go through. And eventually, as I became more and more mindful of it, I stopped 
reacting that way. But I don't demand that of myself. You know, that's the thing. You want to be patient with it and just notice it. Be open, non-resisting, unhappiness. Don't resist the fact that unhappiness is there. But also don't add the story. <laughs> so recognizing when we're judging is really an important piece of it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Are reasons why one feels the emotions is the intellectual con- Is that the same as judgment? Because... You know, the sad thing happened. Right. The reasons why, okay, we're talking about meditation, okay? In meditation, when the, the reasons come up, they don't let you, when you focus on the reasons, you don't focus on the feeling. You know, we want to let the feeling is what has arisen than happiness. Um, if you go into the story, that's a whole other thing. Now, let me give you an example, for instance. Let's say somebody insulted us at work today. You know, and so, you know, we got pretty upset because they were really, you know, they did said something really mean, right? You know, so you're kind of upset, you know, you're, you're a little bit angry, you know, uh, but a few hours later, you're kind of, you know, you feel like you're over it. You know, you get home and, and someone asks you, oh, how was work today? You go, oh, well, you know, so-and-so insulted me. And all of a sudden, you know, you're all angry again, all over again. You know, because what happened, you know, you start telling the story and, and you feed the story. So often when we have our reasons for why we're feeling an emotion, it's not really that we understand, often it's not just understanding, but we're, we're telling ourselves the same story about it over and over again. Oh, I'm unhappy because I had a bad childhood. You know, I hadn't, you know, and we tell ourselves that story over and over and over again, feeding the same emotional pattern. You know, I, I don't want to say that, the, that the, those reasons aren't important and at times they're important to explore. I, I don't mean to say that. But when we're doing this in a meditative environment, what we're looking to do is to know the difference between the emotion and the thoughts about the emotion. They're two very different things. And it's important to see them as two different things. And meditation's not a time to figure these things out. Not that sometimes these things don't pop up and we have great understandings of stuff, but it's just not the time to actually do that. Any other questions about that? I mean, emotions is a huge field, you know, so I hope that, that you get to know it really well. <laughs> so we're going to do one other meditation tonight, and this one, um, you know, what we talked about earlier, that what we're trying to do is stop making or pain a magnet, okay? Uh, so with this meditation, what we're going to do is we're going to divide the body into two areas, into a primary area, which is the pain area. We'll call that the, the primary area. Anything that hurts is the primary. And it may be that you have one area of pain, or you may have a few areas of pain, or a lot of areas of, of pain. So anything that's strong pain is called the primary area. Anything else is a secondary area. So if, they, if it's just mild discomfort or, or no pain at all, that's a secondary. Okay, is that clear? Primary, secondary. Okay, so that's really the, the, how we're going to work with this. I don't have any secondary areas. The tip of my nose doesn't hurt. Well, then there's a secondary area. Even if it's just a little bit of a secondary area, um, you know, I did a um, retreat where we were 
taught to uh, focus on something that was pleasant. And if you couldn't find anything pleasant, it had to be neutral. And, um, you know, I remember one person who had, who had a lot of physical discomfort. They were able to find a little spot on the cheek that was comfortable. And that's good enough. So if you have an area that's even just mildly discomfort, that's fine too. It doesn't have to be completely comfortable. That's just mild compared to other areas that are stronger. So, uh, so you can work with this. Okay. So what we're going to be doing, the, the purpose of this practice is to create some flexibility um, in the mind so we can go back and forth between paying attention to the pain and paying attention to, this, uh, to the areas where there is no pain. So I'll guide you through it and you'll see what, what we mean. Uh, this meditation is called um, Local Intensity. That refers to the um, primary area, the pain, which is the local pain, and global spread, which is the rest of the body. And so they'll become clear as we do the meditation. So please find a comfortable position. Close your eyes. If you're sitting, make sure you're sitting upright but relaxed. And take a couple of deep breaths, relaxing a little more with each exhale. Bring your awareness to any area of pain, of strong pain or discomfort. And if you have no discomfort, you might want to make a fist. Maybe use the other hand than you used before. The area where the pain is strong, we'll call the primary area. And where there's no discomfort, or the discomfort is mild, we'll call that the secondary area. Now bring your attention to the secondary area. For this next part of the meditation, we're going to keep our attention only on the secondary area. Let your awareness float, moving from place to place within the secondary area. Feel the different parts of your body like a butterfly landing on a plant just for several seconds, feeling it, then moving on to another place in the secondary area. Just a few seconds in each spot, then move on to another spot. It doesn't matter where you land as long as it's in the secondary area. Now label each spot you land on and sense it. For instance, if you land on your cheek, just very quietly in your mind say cheek. But make sure you feel it. And then move on to the next spot. And maybe you land on your jaw now. Jaw. 
feel the jaw and then move on. Go wherever your awareness takes you. It doesn't matter where. As long as you stay in the secondary area. If it's more relaxing to you, feel free to be systematic about it. Letting your mind go in a in a systematic direction, maybe go up and down the arm, then go up and down the chest, so you don't have to make choices. Or you can just let your awareness just roam around at will. Keep your awareness circulating in the secondary area, the area with no pain or low pain. Just move your attention from one place to another at a leisurely pace. Try not to be pulled into the primary areas.
you may notice influences from the primary area, maybe little pressures or subtle pains, things that spread from the primary area into the secondary parts of the body. Now, you may not get that at all, but if you do, if it spreads beyond the primary area, focus your attention to wherever it has spread but still only one small area at a time. Discomfort that spreads from a primary area is usually much milder. So you may be able to notice it and experience the spread with more equanimity and acceptance. If you don't get any spread, that's fine. Just continue in the secondary area the way you've been doing. Now again, get a sense of your body as a whole. And place some of your attention now on the primary area. But still maintain awareness of your body as a whole. Each time there's any change in the intensity or the shape of the primary pain, the primary discomfort, any time there's a change, notice if there's a global spread to the rest of your body, to any part of the rest of your body. Let it happen if it happens. Let your attention go back and forth between the whole body awareness and the primary area. Keep watching any interplay between the primary pain and the secondary areas of the body.
it's like a pond where there's a local splash that's the primary area and the ripple spreads from the splash throughout the whole pond releasing the pressure and the energy see if you can get into that rhythm the local splash and the global spread the ripples and just let it release throughout the body in all directions the primary area and then the body globally just let it release back and forth So I'd like to hear from some of you. First, do you have anybody have any questions about this particular practice? I'd like to hear if if you were able to stay in the secondary area when we when I asked you to try to uh, uh, stay away from the primary area. Were most of you able to do that? Some of the time. Some of the time. Some of the time. Occasionally, but for, for me, the, the thing, because um, well, when I tend to move my primary area even just a, a little tiny bit, it helps it um, feel a little less pain. And if it's really, really still, then it's sort of like the pain built up a little bit. So when I was focusing on the secondary area, the primary area got like a little bit worse in a way, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I would just notice, notice that. Um, but for the most part, um, and it would just move a tiny little bit, and then it would kind of go back to the secondary area. But it's almost like how you know thoughts come in sometimes. You just sort of are aware of it, and then you just sort of go back. Yeah, yeah, good. So just a kind of a t- light touch, and then you go back to the secondary. Yeah, good. 
Good. Did any of you feel a spread from the primary pain? Where, you know, like maybe the, you have pain in the low back normally, but then it, it would kind of spread to other areas. Did any, anybody have that? Yes. Most of the time, both areas were in consciousness. You were aware of both areas. But were you able to go to one spot at a time? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, which is fine. It's fine if things are in the background. You know, you don't have to push them away completely. Just as long as in the foreground, you're paying attention to the secondary area. Yeah, good, good. In the last part that we did, we were going back and forth between the full body awareness and the primary area, the back and forth. Were you able to get into a rhythm with that? How, how did that feel? Did anybody like that? Was that was that helpful or, or was that kind of neutral? What? Kind of neutral. I think that um, I, I liked. It was. I thought it was really helpful focusing on the <coughs> secondary area for <laughs> me, and um, just to remember, like you said, um, um, that you know the pain is just part of the picture, and so I think. When I, you know, was thinking about my whole body, I was more appreciative of the secondary area. Yeah, yeah, good. Thank you. That kind of dispersing of the primary into the whole body thing—it was a—it it, was—it gave me the impression of a lessening of primary pain. Oh, good. Expanded to the whole body. Great. So she felt the lessening of the primary pain as it dissipated into the secondary. Good. Yeah, same here. It's like a diffusion. Yeah. The concentration was evening out or something. Yeah, a diffusion. Good, good. So, you know, one of the things I want to mention is that, you know, in, I'm, I'm offering a few different meditations. And, and I know that it can be a little bit confusing to get all these different practices. And next week I'll talk about how to integrate them. But what I'd like you to do is work with these two meditations in this coming week. I'd like to ask you to meditate twice a day for this next week, just to learn these, because they're really useful tools. And if you don't do them enough, they're not going to be available for you as you need them. We'll be integrating them a little bit more, but if you could, um, um, I'll give you instructions on how to work with them in the next week. But I'd like you to think about the, making a commitment to sitting twice a day for... Um, just this one week. So uh, before I go on to just the, the last piece I want to talk about, any other questions about this, partic- this particular meditation? So I want to say one more, another thing. We talked about last week about how exercise and movement is really helpful for decreasing pain. What I want to talk about is being mindful of movement. And I think some people get really confused about what to pay attention to when they're trying to be mindful of movement throughout their day. So one of the ways to think about is that we pay attention to what moves, mostly. You know, so for instance, if we're washing dishes, you know, we want to have most of our attention on the hands moving, maybe the warm water on our hands, that's what's moving. That's what we... That's what we can focus on. But we also want to have a little bit of a global awareness in our posture. Posture is really crucial. 
You know, you don't want to be paying all this attention to the dishes and your back's so hunched over, or you're getting low back pain because your foot isn't well supported. You know, pay attention. For instance, um, do any of you lift weights as part of your normal routine? You know, a few of you do. If you, for instance, when you lift weights, you know, you, uh, you want to have most of your attention, let's say you're doing a biceps curl, on the actual movement of the hand contracting. Okay, that's where your attention wants to be. That's where, uh, you know, you, but you also want to do it with a deep breath, you know, you, you know, inhale, exhale, you know, so you, you um, use the breath as a rhythm for the weights. But you also want to have a, uh, an awareness of your whole body. Uh, you, you know, you don't want to lift weights, again, in a bad posture. And you also don't want to be grimacing. Um, you want to have a relaxed face. A lot of people, they're like, you know. It doesn't, it doesn't help, you know. It, uh, it actually uses up a lot of extra energy or it brings stress into it, you know, uh, some stress hormones. It might give you a little bit of extra strength, but that's actually not really good training. You want to train bringing your strength in while you're relaxed, not while you're stressed. You know, sure, if, if you have enough adrenaline going through you, you can lift a car. You know, but you don't really want to do that to yourself. You know, so you want to be relaxed when you lift, relaxed when you exercise. And I wanted to address just very briefly ergonomics. You know, the ergonomics of how we live our life are really important for pain. You know, this is not, you know, these are not um, meditation related, but they're mindfulness related. And for instance, you know, um, as a chiropractor, I can't tell you how many women patients I had whose neck problems went away when they stopped wearing a purse on their shoulder. Or how, you know, a number of times where I had men's sciatica go away when they stopped wearing their wallets under the, you know, in their butt when they drove, you know, and, and you know, it's directly pinching the sciatic nerve. Or people who spend a lot of time on the phone, you know, twisted like this to the side, uh, having a lot of chronic neck problems, or people who sleep on their stomach and then they have neck problems when they wake up because they spend the whole night on their stomach. So the things that we do in our lives, you know, we want to pay attention to what you do. You know, is anything that you're doing in your life causing you more problems? Laptops are are now causing a whole new set of problems. There's probably nothing more ergonomically horrible to our bodies than using a laptop. Uh, So if you use a laptop a lot, you know, set it up so that you either have a separate keyboard or you have a separate monitor, one of the two. Um, But the really, you know, the level of stress on the neck, on even a very healthy neck of a laptop is pretty strong if you spend a lot of time on it. Anything we do for extended periods can have consequences. And often our work demands us to do things for extended periods. If that's the case, do something to counteract it. If you spend a lot of time sitting Make sure you spend a lot of time, a lot of breaks walking, you know, just kind of logically. Whatever you do a lot of, you know, do something to compensate for it. You know, and in, in one of the very core Buddhist teachings, uh, the Satipatthana Sutta, you know, the Buddha said, no, a monk should know, you know, this is to the monks, of course, you know, know when you're sitting, know when you're standing, know when you're laying down.
know when you're walking. You know, mindfulness is in every posture we have. I really recommend, you know, that if we've had a problem, any of us have had a problem for many years, our bodies have adapted to that problem, and usually in not very good ways. And um, our postures may have, if, especially if we have emotional issues, you know, we've been very upset about the problem, you know, where our body may be contracting in certain ways, we're holding ourselves because we're a little bit tense or fearful. So having any kind of physical practice that brings our awareness to our posture, such as yoga, tai chi, qigong, uh, belly dancing, you know, um, pilates, anything that brings us into our bodies and into using our bodies in a way that's different helps break the patterns of the years of doing this on the phone or the years of feeling defeated by the pain or the years of, um, you know, of however we hold ourselves. So, um, you know, we break our patterns by changing the way we use our bodies. We break our patterns by changing the way we use our minds. Uh, So it's helpful to, you know, approach it from all the different angles. You know, I also want to mention, you know, if if any of you are using a drug-based pain management, you know, these methods can really complement the drugs that are being used. But also be aware that very often you may need to lower the dose of those drugs. Uh, So just keep that awareness in you if you work with that. So I'm going to um, give you a handout. For those of you who weren't here last week, uh, there's a handout for last week that covers the meditations we used last time, and there's a handout for this week. And I'm going to ask you to do two sittings a day. I'd like you to start the sitting with just the mindfulness of breathing um, for maybe the first five minutes before you do the mindfulness of emotions. And then the second sitting will be this, with this particular practice of uh, local intensity and global spread. And if you forgot about it, you know, I've described it pretty carefully in the handout. Did, did you have a question? No. no, okay. I also would like you to remember to, whenever you're, um, you have like waiting time, that you spend a little time labeling your emotions. I'd like everyone to be really facile, really easy, knowing what they're feeling at any given moment. Just being able to connect with your emotions. Like right at this moment, you know, can you connect with how you feel? Is that easy for you? Is that like very accessible? So, you know, for some of us, it's much more accessible than others, and that's fine. But just develop that. The more we can develop that, the more we we can see how if an emotion is getting, is actually making our pain worse. Yeah, it's a, you know, and, and next week, actually, I'm going to give out some resources, which will include her book um, and Shins and Young's book and, and uh, some other things to uh, some other resources. Yes. Uh, mechanical kind of question. Uh, I cross my legs a lot when I'm sitting. It's always left leg over right. Uh, is that going to create, is that create imbalance? Should I do it the other direction every now and then, or? You're trying to cross-legged on the floor? No, no, just sitting in a chair. Uh, yeah, yeah. Generally, what happens when we 
cross her legs. It creates a certain twist on the back, and it's asymmetrical, and you're usually reinforcing a pattern in one direction. So it's really helpful to, to do it both ways, to get pretty symmetrical. <laughs> Most of us are very one-sided. Uh, we have a culture that's very much, you know, you're either right-handed or left-handed. And the muscles of the spine develop much more on one side than the other. And therefore, you get tighter on that side, and you're not as flexible on that side. So it's very helpful, especially the way we live our lives in our culture, uh, to make up for that by, you know, doing things consciously, doing both sides. Um. So any, any other questions? Yes. Yeah, I, I, um, in the first meditation, I very quickly got very concentrated and very still, and pain just went. So, so of course, that felt very wonderful. And when you asked us to get up, it, I just felt this enormous resistance, and I was having a hard time opening my eyes. In the second meditation, I felt like I wanted to go there again because it had such wonderful effect. <laughs> so it's like I wasn't really um, being that good about following the directions. Well, you know, you know, what's really perfect is that what you noticed was resistance. Now, if you could turn your attention directly to that resistance, that's a very powerful thing to do. And because that's really what we're looking at is resistance. So your resistance didn't arise until you didn't feel good anymore. <laughs> While you felt good, there was no resistance. So as soon as, as, as uh, there was the chance you were going to lose the feeling good, resistance arose. And that's really what we want to pay attention to. So, but a little bit the conflict was, oh, since it feels so great, should I just stop listening to the directions and just stay where I am? Oh, well, you know, in your own practice, sure, stay where you are. Yeah, but, but because this is the situation you're in, pay attention to the resistance. Yeah. Yeah, you know, as we integrate our practice, you know, um, you know these are tools. These different meditations are tools, and we're going to bring them in as we need them. But, you know, to use a tool, you need to learn how to use it. So I want you to really focus this week on developing a skill with these tools. You know, and then we'll, we'll see about how we bring him into our, our practice. Any other questions? Okay, so um, if anybody has anything else afterwards, you know, I'll, I'll be here for a while, so feel free to come up to me and um, be happy to talk with you. So thank you all, and we'll see you next week.